This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Monday morning in America. And boy, guys, it is a cold one. Even in Texas, it's a cold one. I love it. You I know, I want to get the fireplace burning, but uh, Cheryl and mom can't stand that first, like how smoky the house gets when you first fire up the fireplace for the first time. It's not not great. I think you're doing it wrong. You know what helps that, Joe, is open the flu. That's just a little oh. trick I've learned. Yeah. Maybe use dry wood instead of wet wood. I mean, there's so many different options here. So many things to remember. Oh, gee, so many things. But you know, it's something we never forget. We had men and women protecting us all weekend long while we were having a great time. Well, and all last week while people heard our greatest hits episode. So let's raise our mugs to the men and women. You're going to love this one. In our armed forces. What the hell is that, Doug? I know, right? It's so bad. Is that a badger? <laughs> this is. I, know, I wish it were a badger, OG. I wish it were. That is a grumpy Christmas cat. Ah, of course it is. On brand. I don't like cats. And I, we're going to get flamed for that. No, you're going to get flamed. Cooper runs the house here. You're getting flamed. Yeah, I Not us. Well, that's an issue. I mostly don't like cats because of how allergic I am to them. But then, I think they're allergic to you. Uh, <laughs> that would be fine, but they're not. When I go to your house, I go to OG's house. The cat comes to me like Velcro. They just, they're like, oh, that's somebody. I'm going to make him like We call me. that OG well-trained. Well <laughs> Get this guy out of here. Yep. <laughs> it worked. In both cases, it worked. But so for some reason, my mom gives me this grumpy Christmas cat mug for Christmas like four or five years ago. She knows all of these things about me. I have two Dobermans. Why she would give me cats, I have no idea, but it's the dishwasher is full and hasn't been run, and this is the last good-sized coffee mug I've got. So Even mom's poking, poking Doug. Poking the bear. Let's let's get him a uh, OG. Can we just salute the troops? Yeah, what was your, what was your mug? I, I've got my Zion National Park mug with the map of Zion oh, inside. Uh, <clears throat> This is uh, this is courtesy of the Cayman Islands. Oh, beautiful! Very nice ship on the side there. And does it come with syphilis? Uh, scurry, scurvy, scurvy, scurry, scurry. 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 You, you scurry thing. from the scurvy thing. to hope you don't get it. Yes. For the men and women in the navy uh, on those ships without scurvy, and uh, the men and women in all of our armed forces. Big salute to our troops on behalf of the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union and the people making podcast in mom's basement. Time for us to all go stack Benjamins together. Thanks, everybody. Here's a song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Vacation's all that is over. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. (laughs) 
I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today you'll learn how to see bigger opportunities in the world of work with the principal research scientist at MIT's School of Management, Andrew McAfee. In our headline segment, big changes to how 401k and 529 plans count when filling out financial aid forms. We'll share all the latest details. For our TikTok Minute, you'll learn the secret value of adding family members to the board of your LLC. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Stacker Mark, who wants to know if he can avoid paying capital gains taxes by transferring his appreciated stocks into a donor-advised fund. And then, I'll share some nerdy trivia. And now, two guys who think the best revenge is to live a rich life, it's Joe. And O-J-J-J-J-G! Welcome back, stackers. We missed you so much last week, so pull up a chair, sit down, relax, because we have an hour of financial fun on tap, and it all starts with a man across the card table from me today. It's Mr. OG. How are you, my friend? Uh, I think I feel like I need more vacation. <laughs> we just never enough. Sounds like it. Yeah. It was a long week and a short week altogether. I don't know. Well, the good news is you only got a couple weeks till you have a short week. So that's good. Okay. This is the best time of year. It's like, what do we have? Like two full work weeks left from here on right. out. <laughs> you do. You get and all the turkey you want and nobody's. But it's basically the same for me the whole year. So it's, it's no different. <laughs> There's OG endearing himself to all of our listeners again. That's right. Spending time with us. Never, never work, I'm sure, OG. And uh, we've got a fantastic mentor teaching our stacker community today, MIT's Andrew McAfee, joining us, talking about uh, embracing technology and the new world of work. Give it and, a big hug. Yeah, making things, making things happen. But before that, we have a headline, but... OG, what happened to you over the, the last week that made you so in love with vacation? Oh, all right. Well, <clears throat> let, me, let me start by saying this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It was that big? It was that big. Well, that's how big it got. But the thing is... And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... 
Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Yeah, but over the years, we just had to cap it at eight for our trip. So, I mean, it started smaller and then got bigger. Always, always cap it at eight. Totally agree. We got a great show. We got Andrew McAfee coming up next. But before that, big headline, especially if you're thinking about college. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Investment News. This is written by Emil Halez. Emil's headline is How 401ks and 529s Factor into the New FAFSA. Turns out, OG, change is here when it comes to filling out financial aid forms. Emil writes, this fall could be an unusually stressful time for families with children planning to start college next year. The cause many will be guessing about how much they'll have to pay or borrow for tuition. Not only are they awaiting acceptance letters, but there's a two-month delay in the federal student aid applications as a result of a major overhaul. That's nice. Yeah. Government's here to help. We're from the government. We're here to help. Are we going to have any money? Is Junior going to get to go to college? We'll let you know later. We'll let you know. Yeah. Major overhaul in how the government's assessing eligibility. When the free application for federal student aid, the FAFSA, as it's called, is typically published in October for the coming academic year. This year, they're delaying it till, wait for it, December. So this is all OG because of uh, legislation that was passed back in 2021. Let's go over some of the rules. There's a shorter set of questions. They took the questions down from 108 to 40 questions you have to answer when you do the FAFSA. So that part is good. And the way they are measuring asset works. And historically, when I've looked at the FAFSA, when you go through it, you just think, okay, what the government is trying to do is they're trying to encourage a couple things. Number one, make sure that for the student, this is priority number one. So you get into school, you get it done. So most of a child's assets are always going to count against them getting financial aid. That's number one. Number two is the parent needs to have an emergency fund. So a parent has some money that doesn't count before money starts counting against them. So it can have a little bit of an emergency fund, a cash reserve. But traditionally, they've said that, you know what, Uh, college should be a little bit of a hardship. So they did count money that was going into a 401k as money that was eligible for college. You could redirect it toward juniors college. Well, that, that part's all changed. One change Emil talks about is that pre-tax contributions to employer-sponsored retirement plans will no longer count as income when they're judging you for financial aid eligibility. That could be huge. That's There's tons of reasons, OG, why that's good news. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you were contributing to your workplace plan and you're uh, contributing the maximum or you're married and you and your spouse or partner are contributing, I mean, you could be contributing $40,000 a year uh, or more. That is, that was considered income for that kind of top of the line calculation of here's how much resources you have available every year to pay for college. When in reality, of course, you're saying, well, no, I don't have that money. I'm, I'm putting 40 grand in my 401k so I can retire someday. So I don't have to have the government help me with that. I guess maybe their thinking is, is that it's better to help you with college one time than help you with retirement forever. Forever. Is that, yeah. Is that kind of the, uh, the calculation? I don't know. There? This may help some of the social security conundrum or when future legislation around social security maybe comes down the road. They're like, look, we tried to help you before this. 
Well, and you know, the other question that I was thinking about this, uh, so we have a junior in high school and of course FAFSA's look backward two years. So, so we're in the year that will be calculated for Alex's first college year, even though he's a junior. Now this is sucky because it is November. <laughs> it's right at the end of the year. So it's kind of hard to make these changes to adjust for it. But in subsequent years, it'll be top of mind. But I was thinking about our own financial planning and the contributions between pre-tax and after-tax. And, you know, we get a lot of questions of, hey, is it better to do the Roth 401k? Is it better to do the traditional 401k? Should I split it? How should I create this? This might be a deciding factor for a four or five year period while you have a child or children in college that you go, well, no, I'm going to put this in Build the pre-tax. pre-tax because that's going to help lower our contribution amount. A couple other things come to mind. Number one is I know for some families, if it's going to be really tough, they'll shut off the 401k completely. And at least OG, you won't feel guilty about putting in enough to get the match during these yeah. years. Maybe it is duct tape, but at least you can feel good about getting the match. Yeah, I mean, really, when it comes down to the cash flow component of this for paying for college, you've got to figure out the way that you want to exit stage left, right? It's like, you know, the time to start thinking about planning for college is when your kid is born. But if you're if you've got a junior like me and you're going, well, things were different when he was born. I just I wasn't doing the five hundred dollars a month in the five twenty nine plan 15 years ago. It just wasn't there. Then you have to decide, like, what's the strategy for the exit? You know, are we going to fund this as we go and kind of uh, forego some savings and contributions and lifestyle. To your point, college should be a little bit of a burden, you know, that thinking. And so we're going to kind of pare back and cash flow as much as we can. Do we continue our savings and maybe use debt financing to help pay for it? Whose debt are we going to do this under? Is it going to be under the kids? Is it going to be under ours? Are we going to do a education loan, a home equity loan? Like you want to think about those things, you know, kind of now for us, because Alex is a junior, right? This is This is the time for us to start putting the plan together, not Hey, we just I just got accepted to insert school here. Can I go? What do I do now? It's like, oh crap, that's 50 grand a year. Like, uh, mom and I haven't talked about it. Well, they got to know by Monday, dad. <laughs> it's like, really? They only gave you a few days? No, I got the letter 6 weeks ago. <laughs> like that's it's on brand. <laughs> Every teenager ever. <laughs> what was the TikTok minute we did with a woman? What did she say? It wasn't nobody got time for that. It's was it nobody got time for that or it's, uh, or that's not how it's going to work or Yeah, that's that's right. That's not how it's going to be. That's not how it's going to be. That's not how it's going to be. I think, I don't know. That was pretty funny. Something, something like that. That's pretty funny. A classic TikTok minute we ran back in August. This is not that. Uh, The second issue this brings up, you know, that 108 question FAFSA was so onerous that a lot of people would fill it out once. They get the discouraging letter. By the way, 99.9% of people are are discouraged when they they get the FAFSA results. Right. Because they get what's called the expected family contribution. And for most families, it was a laughable number. It's like, really? You, uh, where's that money going to come from? How am I going to get that? And then they never apply for financial aid again. Huge mistake. Absolutely huge mistake. So hopefully, and this is the second thing it brings up. So my daughter didn't get any financial aid her first year, but starting with her sophomore year, she got some financial aid. Now it was merit-based aid. It wasn't FAFSA-based aid, but you got to fill out the FAFSA first. You still have to do the FAFSA anyway. Every school says you got to do the FAFSA first and apply there before everything else. And the reason is the school wants you to ask the federal government for money first before the state then pitches in before. So the, the the school wants to be the last person to give you money. If anybody else will give you money, please, God. So nearly every school starts with the FAFSA. So my daughter filled that out and then she got merit-based aid starting her sophomore year. And the more OG, her junior and senior year, yeah. 
as she really honed in on a major, what happened was companies started throwing money at her as a recruitment tool. Companies don't throw money at freshmen. They throw money at juniors and seniors. So hopefully taking that from 108 questions to 40 <laughs> is going to uh, gonna help families keep borderline going. inappropriate with your daughter, but close enough that I thought it was funny. What's that? Showing show money, money go. People not watching us on YouTube. People were throwing money at your daughter. <laughs> Just no, 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 back away from that. Let's uh, awkwardly transition then into 529 plans and how this has changed. One of the key changes, Emil writes, that we should all know is that 529 assets and grandparents or other family members' accounts will no longer be reported on the FAFSA. Andrew Mastro, yeah. President of Rod Advisors said, this is a big change and has planning implications. A parent of a child can gift their 529 account to a grandparent. You can gift your 529 account to somebody else, gift it to a grandparent. And now that 529 doesn't count at all against financial aid. This just seems like they created OG, the world's biggest freaking loophole and pain in the ass for families at the same time. Well, yeah, I mean, and it sounds really great and wonderful to just go, I'll just gift it to grandma. But remember, there's downstream effects to giving other people money, right? Like you can't just show up at somebody's house and play publisher's clearinghouse and be like, hey, here's some money. You know, there's potential estate planning ramifications, potential tax ramifications in terms of that gifting type thing. And then the other thing to really be aware of is, once you give it away, you are not in control of it anymore. And it sounds like, oh, mom would never do that to me. But for as many times as you hear that part, you hear just as many times of, I can't believe mom did that to me. <laughs> that was my money, you know, or whatever. And you read about these things in Money Magazine or you read about it in Reddit or something like that or on, you know, those uh, very true places called Facebook or something. But you have to be really concerned with the fact that you're literally giving it away. There's no assurances that that person is going to stick with it. And here's the downside. What happens if something happens to that person? Right? So you give the money to grandma and now something happens to her. You know, now you have other people who are involved in that decision, right? It could be your siblings, could be your other parent, it could be aunts and aunts. it could be other people going, well, wait, hold on. There Just was a mess. You know, yeah. So be careful with that. You know, if you're going to uh, try to, it's not really gaming the system, I guess. That's not really fair to call it that if, if they kind of specifically say it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Save the money for college, use it for college, for crying out loud. That's what your plan was. Just do it that way. If you are, uh, though, thinking about putting yourself through school, there might be some planning opportunities there there as well that you might might want to look into. Time for our TikTok minute. This is the part of the show where we shine a, a light on a TikTok creator who's either making some brilliance or in the case of a few TikTok people, you know, every once in a while they make some air quotes brilliance. Every once in a while. So, uh, <laughs> Doug, which one we got today? We got uh, brilliance or air quotes brilliance? I, You know, I always, with the exception of one time when I got hosed on this, I always go the opposite direction of what OG is going to do. And I'm going to do it again. I'm going to roll the dice. And I'm going to do it again. So I'm going to say this is air quotes, brill, which is his normal answer. Now this, but no. I'm going to go that way. So this this is the holiday season. It's about giving. So I'm giving, well, I'm, I'm potentially just handing you one here. OG. Well, and, and this is one that on face value sounds brilliant. So let's give it a listen hmm. and uh, Doug, see if it really is. Hmm. 
in your LLC, I want your spouse on your board, your teenagers on your board, your mom and dad on your board. Why do you want that? Because now I can unlock paying my family members, sometimes tax deduction for you, tax free to them and build my wealth more because my family's involved. So many millions of Americans pay taxes and then support their family. Hell yeah. no. We're going to put them on the payroll. We're going to yeah. make them 1099s. We're going to make them outside labor. I'm yeah. going to go to New York or Cayman Islands or uh, down to Cabo, and I'm going to have a board meeting. I just did a board meeting last week in California, wrote off the trip, because we've got to be thinking business when we travel. So travel, dining, kids, electronics, spouse. we got to remember this is a family business. Chris Corner is the epitome of a family business, and yeah. you guys need to be modeling, and you unlock it with the board of directors. Mark J. Kohler on TikTok had that one. Oh, gee, this sounds like really cool. Slimy. I go to Cabo with the family. They're all on my board right off the entire trip. Bada boom, bada bing. Warning. Terrain. Terrain. Pull up. Looks even better if you enjoy wearing orange, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is all great. I mean, again, here we are back to what we were talking about with the 529. Probably factually correct. However... If the IRS auditor shows up at your office or at your CPA's office and says, I would like to know how you came up with this, right? Like what story do you tell? You know what I mean? Like you, it has to be a legitimate business purpose. You can't be like, we were having a board meeting in Cabo. It's like, no, that doesn't count. Now, if Disney has a board meeting in Cabo, it counts, right? That's like literally they're flying people all over the place, you know, and his argument in this video here is like, well, why should it count any different for Disney having a board meeting in Cabo versus us having a meeting in Cabo? Because you probably didn't have a meeting in Cabo. (laughs) Disney had a conference space. They had agendas. They were there in meetings from eight till five. They had presentation. They, you know, they had all of the accoutrements that go with the meeting. They didn't just go on vacation to Cabo and write it off. If you're hiring the family, the family has to work. They have to work. Yeah, they don't have to As work. As opposed to your 11-year-old PlayStation 5. How are you going to justify that? <laughs> I mean, they. some people, I, I've, I've read people say things like, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to pay my kid to be a model for my business. So I'm going to take their picture, put it on the website as kind of one of the stock photos. And now I'm paying my kid to be a model. And it's like, uh, okay, okay, you know. I get it, but let's compare that to what it would cost to pull an image from Shutterstock and put it on your website. What does that cost? Ah, 99 cents, you know? And I think there's a material difference in your kid modeling just for you. Yeah. And your kid being a professional model. Totally different. Modeling for a bunch of other people. Literally be their business, right? Like if your kid is the Gerber baby. Your kid's the Gerber baby and is doing Gerber baby stuff for everybody. Not just, not just. I heard that. I heard that Gerber kid's a diva, by the way. I imagine. Wants a latte after every shoot. Speaking of Gerber baby, it's completely unrelated. There was a commercial for guaranteed life insurance, guaranteed issue life insurance from Gerber baby life, Gerber life, whatever you want to call it, that little baby on it for old people. Wow. I guess they're doing the barbell strategy. (laughs) Get, Get them both sides. Yeah. So many pitfalls. We will be careful. Yeah, we will dive deeper into these and into college planning in the 201, our newsletter that Kevin Bailey so brilliantly writes every Tuesday, Thursday with uh, links to things that we've curated, uh, sources we've curated that can go deeper into all these topics that we talk about on the show. Coming up next, today's mentor for the Stacking Benjamin Show. Welcome to the most inspiring part 
of the show. If you are new to Stacking Benjamins, uh, we have a different uh, teacher on most episodes. And today it's Andrew McAfee. He's the principal research scientist at MIT Sloan, co-founder, co-director of the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy. And uh, he is here today talking about embracing change and uh, embracing your inner geek. So super excited that he is coming down to the basement. But before Andrew says hello to all of us and uh, teaches us about better work, uh, Doug, you better work us some trivia, man. I got you, Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in honor of MIT lead research scientist Andrew McAfee's appearance today, we need to talk about geeks. This may be surprising to you since I'm so fit and charismatic, but like any self-respecting geek, I was actually a pretty good student at Southwest Bahama State Technical Institute and Beauty School. I was on the speech and debate team for two years in a row and only cried one time after competition. I was actually so gifted that the school let me be in the French club after I told everyone I'd French several times. And even though I was so strong, still am, I was never one of those guys that picked on the nerds like the dickhead character Ogre from the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Guy was a jerk. Today's trivia question is, the movie Revenge of the Nerds was filmed at the University of Arizona, and one group protested the movie happening on their campus. So riddle me this, stackers. Which group led the protest against the filming of Revenge of the Nerds on campus? I'll be back right after I find my Letterman jacket. Yeah, it still fits. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... Because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties 
or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm Cherry Stem Not Champion and very smart, totally geeky guy, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. If you think I'm good with the ladies now, you should have seen me back in the day. It's a wonder what a letterman jacket can do for you. I still wear mine sometimes, but you know, only to formal events. Today's trivia question is, which group protested the filming of Revenge of the Nerds at the University of Arizona? The answer? Fearing the film would be another overly raunchy depiction of college life like Animal House. That's weird. I thought that was a documentary. Anyway, the University of Arizona's Greek Council threatened to shut down production of the movie. And now, here to help you prepare for the next economy instead of the last one, today's mentor for the show, MIT research scientist Andrew McAfee. And I'm super happy we have him across mom's card table. Our mentor for the day, Andrew McAfee's here. How are you, man? I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so happy that you would be here helping us get more enlightened through work. But I want to start with your personal story. And it's actually the same place you start in this project. You are, I think, 11 years old. And you're, you're giving your mom the third degree about punch cards. There are a number of people here who have no idea what a punch card even no is. No idea. It, it boggles my mind. Punch cards were the way you programmed computers back in the era when memory and storage were unbelievably expensive, just unaffordable for normal people. And that's a distant era, except it wasn't too long ago. My mom was going to night school to get an accounting degree. And computer programming was a course she had to take, including punch cards. And she, you brought them home in a box. They were these; they were bigger than a dollar bill, and you brought them home in a box, and that was literally your program for the computer, unless you dropped it and the punch card spilled. And everybody has a story oh. about that. You, you probably remember those days. Well, Cheryl, my wife's uncle was the head of civil engineering at Michigan State, and so nice. he's got. He still has because he's he's very neat, but he's a hoarder, and he's got these piles of old punch cards with old programs. See, I'm a big enough geek that I find that super cool. And I realized I was a geek at the age of 11 when my mom brought these things home and I couldn't stop looking at them, trying to figure out what they were. And like you point out, I cross-examined her about what these things were. And then by extension, what is the mom? What are you talking about? What's a computer? What is this strange new beast? And I just, I remember it super clearly because that was when I got the idea that whatever this thing was, I needed to figure this out. And I got, I got kind of obsessed with it. That was my realization uh, that, you know, the geek's journey, that was where I kind of started it, I think. Yeah, you found your thing, which is really cool because what figures largely into this project and I think into your work as a whole is you went to a different type of elementary school, to a different type of school than a lot of people that listen to this went to. Talk about how your education factors into the geek way. I lied, right? I said my geek journey started when I was cross-examining my mom about punch cards. I think it started earlier when she and my dad gave me the great gift of sending me to a Montessori preschool, which was this style of education 
pioneered by Maria Montessori, who I think is the patron saint of geeks, because she was a complete obsessive radical about how do small children learn? What's the right environment for small children to learn in? And the dominant method was this industrial style of education where you sit at a gridded desk and you have subjects inflicted on you. And maybe you learn reading and writing and arithmetic, but what you really learn is to hate learning, is you learn to hate school. And Maria said, screw all that, basically. And she went deep on it and realized that what young human beings want to learn, we're, that's what we're wired by evolution to do. And she built these classrooms. And that's, I don't even love that word. She built these rooms full of cool things that you could play with as a young child. And they would actually get across the basic concepts. Montessori kids are at least as good on standardized tests at reading, writing, and arithmetic as their peers who went through the factory system. But there is a Montessori mafia in tech, a weird percentage of people who have started companies that you and I know of, including Google, including Amazon, including Wikipedia, uh, maybe not Wikipedia, um, but Google and Amazon for sure were started by Montessori kids. And what Larry and Sergey said in an interview was that it taught them to question things and that the world is interesting. You should go poke at it. And I'm just, I'm grateful that I had that spirit for my earliest education. I went back after I was a financial planner to get a post-secondary teaching certificate. I thought I was going to teach high schoolers. And what was cool was we had these enlightened educators that I think you'd be on board with who said, there's no crappier way to teach people than to have you just get into a subject for about 45 minutes Ah. and you ring and then you ring a bell like Pavlov's dog, which teaches you, I can't get too interested. We got to go do something else before I get passionate, right? Yeah, it's just a mess. And l- let's not talk about education and educational reform. <laughs> but we, like Marie or Montessori and some other geeks in education realized you can do it better. And I think the the insight and the bridge is that she said, look, we have over-engineered, over-built, over-structured our educational experience for children. I think what the the business geeks have realized is that they said, wait a minute, we've overbuilt these things called companies with good intentions. Then our job as business leaders is to rethink the best way to do this thing called a company. And what they wound up with would make Maria Montessori very happy, I think. Well, and I think just as a customer of many of these companies that you point to, like Microsoft, if, if the people making the product are excited about it, if, if you can feel the passion, right, this is the whole Apple thing, right? If I can feel the passion in the product, I'm more likely to get excited about the product. And you point out Microsoft, and I think Satya Nadella will go down in history as having accomplished one of the great corporate comebacks of all time. We forget that Microsoft was dead in the water for the first decade of the 21st century. And Nadella came in, and as you point out, one of the things he did was to say, wait a minute, I've got a company full of people who are here because they're passionate about digital technology and its ability to improve people's lives and help them get their stuff done, which I just need to like rekindle that passion. And he did these brilliant things. He didn't just make a a fiery speech. He did these really tangible, pragmatic things to unlock and get out of the way and let people go pursue their passion. If you look at what people who work at these companies that I call geek companies report, they finally report that they feel empowerment. They feel like they have a sense of agency and um, and autonomy in their jobs to an extent that we do not see in most other parts of the economy. This tells us something. You have four pillars of the geek way, and these are greatly embodied by four stories that you tell right at the beginning of this work. And I think for our purpose today to really lead our stackers in the right direction, maybe just telling these stories would be a great use of our time. So let's start off with, there's a gentleman working for NASA 
And he sees all this spillage, Andrew, all this money that seems to be going to waste. Tell us this story. This was a guy I learned a ton from. It became a friend of mine. His name's Will Marshall, and he's the CEO of Planet. And Planet makes these little bitty CubeSats, lots of them, that orbit the Earth, and they scan the Earth every day. They give us daily visual scans of the Earth. It's a really, it's a super cool company. Will was a NASA engineer for the first years of his career, and he's super grateful for it because he said, look, NASA teaches you to do systems engineering. You can't just wing it. You can't put a satellite up and just kind of see what happens. You have to do a lot of other things first. And he said, this is probably the most complicated kind of engineering that there is, and you have to do a lot of it up front you know, on a computer, on a whiteboard with a bunch of other people, you got to pre-plan stuff. But then he said, I came to the conclusion that we had become too fond of all of this upfront planning at NASA. And the organization had gone way beyond, let's call it the minimum viable plan. And they were just too upfront heavy, too planning heavy. And Will kind of had this philosophy of once you get the minimum viable plan done, let's go try stuff. And in particular, in this world that we live in now, you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for a GPS sensor or for a camera or for a decent quality transmitter. Because of the smartphone revolution, those things are actually dirt cheap and they work really well. And so Will started to do these heretical things. He and his colleagues started these heretical things like experiment on the cheap, which is kind of not the NASA school of thought. And they built, they, they got some cover and they got some permission from the NASA director at that time. And they built a hover test facility to look at, you know, was this satellite going to land successfully on the moon? They built it for like $300,000. You cannot find that as a line item on NASA's budget. That's rounding error. That's like their eraser budget for the year, right? But they got this thing building and the NASA brass said, Good on you. Uh, here's here's 80 million. See if you can get a satellite to land on, on the moon. And they did for that price point, but they weren't done. And Will held up when I was talking to him, he held up his phone. He said, this thing is a communication satellite. He said, the bill of material for this versus a communication satellite has about 90% overlap. It's got everything you need. And he said, Let, let's put a smartphone in space and see if we can get an image down from it. And NASA That's said, what blew me away, by the way. When I'm like, he's just going to launch a smartphone into space, blew me they away. They literally just probably super glued it to the side of a, of a <laughs> satellite, and they put it up in space. And NASA was freaking out about this, but they did it. And they activated this community of NASA geeks all around the world to go out in their back with antenna and see if they could sniff the packets and get them down. And they did, and they stitched an image together, which was the first image taken from space by a smartphone. And then Will had this great quote when I was talking to him. He said, look, let's say this costs about 500 bucks. A communication satellite costs about $500 million. What are those extra six zeros doing for us? We don't need to have all those extra zeros involved. And so now Planet builds these fast, cheap, and out of control kinds of satellites. They, they scan the Earth every day, and they do it at a cost advantage of something like a thousandfold. This, to me, is an example of the great geek norm of speed, which is all based around let's iterate, let's try things, let's experiment, let's learn that way. Let's not be so fond of all the upfront planning that, that so many companies do. You talked about getting cover, right? Because, you know, I think about Joe Middle Manager hanging out with us, Jane Middle Manager hanging out with us. And they're like, if I decide to go too fast, I could lose my job. Like, how do I... How do I begin putting this into play to make my organization go faster if I'm not the person in control? And, and Joe and Jane are right, right? And a lot of companies, if you go too fast and they think you're too far out over your skis, you're in trouble. But there, there are two things you can do. One is go find a company that embraces this philosophy, right? Go find a place where if you want to go fast and you want to iterate and experiment and try stuff, that that's part of the culture instead of very much 
not part of the culture. That's what the geeks have pulled off. Go work for a geek company. Failing that, you can at least in the area of the company that you have responsibility for with your people, with your team, you can let them know. You can signal and then verify that it is okay if they try stuff. That archetypal middle manager has that freedom to do that for their team. Yeah. And then hopefully your boss notices that this is working and then you get yeah. to- Amen. It's better if if the folk at the top get it and work hard to maintain that throughout the organization. I fully admit that's better, right? You want a Will Marshall type as your CEO if you're fond of experimentation. You can do it on your own. You can start to be geekier than you are today on your own with your own team. What I love is that you, you, you're you teaching us through these case studies, and I think we all learn better with case studies, but, but yeah. a case study of mine, uh, when I was at American Express, we had a guy who was very geeky, who led the area of American Express that I was in, and he was able to manage up by showing yeah. uh, his superiors just how well it was working by being more collaborative with us that were, quote, under him. I never felt like I was under him, by the way. I always felt like right. he was using all of our stuff, and we're going to get to that with, with with some other stories. But I think the power in that, maybe it's a little bit long term, more long-term approach, but uh, start with what the real estate you've got. It's completely a longer-term approach, and getting to the place where you and your team and your organization can iterate quickly is not easy. You got to build a foundation to do that. You can't just start this, you know, this agile approach tomorrow. I appreciate all that. Man, if you are iterating faster, you are learning faster and you are going to blow by the competition eventually. You're going to blow by. I was laughing as he's building a moon lander out of off the shelf parts. Like I can imagine him going into Lowe's looking for stuff to land. I got the impression they just about literally went into Lowe's. Look, I grabbed some two by fours and made some (laughs) cardboard and they're like, you know, like your, your high school project, but they worked at NASA and luckily they had some NASA brass who were like, well, all righty then we we need more bosses like that. That's fabulous. Speaking of speed, I think speed plays a big part in this next story but it, your overarching pillar we're talking about is not speed, but this woman uh, has a job that she likes and she gets this call, what, from a headhunter, I think? So this guy, this is another person who became a friend of mine as a result of researching the book. I met um, Ardine Williams, who got brought out of retirement. She had had a, a really good career in tech, making the the internals of big companies like HP and Intel run better, primarily in, in human resources. And she'd retired. She was, I think, out in near Palm Springs, like looking at mountains and enjoying the weather. And she got a call from a headhunter. And the headhunter said, it's about Amazon. She's like, look, I'm retired. I'm not coming off the bench. And the headhunter said, yeah, but it's Amazon Web Services. And Ardine said, oh, oh, that's interesting. Because she knew, she was enough of a tech insider, to know that this idea of cloud computing, which was still pretty new back then, this was going to change the business world. This was going to completely change how much money you need to spend to start trying stuff and experimenting. It was going to just change the balance sheet of companies all over the world. She said, okay, I'm listening. And she eventually took a job as a very senior person inside Amazon Web Services to help them get their internal house in order, especially with with talent and hiring. But the big lesson I think from her was, what was it? Her first, her first day or first week or first project, like she's ready to go and she wants somebody to sign off on it. I, I mean, Amazon, even at that time, Andrew is a big company, like clearly she's the new woman in charge of this project. They're not going to let her push the button. 
She, she walks into a couple hundred thousand person. I forget if Amazon at that time was two or 300,000 people. This is a big company. This is already a world changing company. And our Dean walks in and she's like, where are the adults in this company? <laughs> Everyone is running around. There is not a whole lot of what I would call processor structure going on here to the point that she found it frustrating. But, but she did say, if you found people you could work with, you could get stuff done. It was just a little more chaotic and a little less structured than she was used to. And the event that you're talking about happened after she'd been on her job for about 90 days and she got a call from a lawyer. This is not what you want. There are very few good calls from lawyers, right? <laughs> this was from a lawyer inside Amazon. And I, I think it was, he said, um, Ardeen, we, we have a problem. She said, what? She said, right now, we're hiring a bunch of people who used to work for the federal government for Amazon web services and other parts of Amazon. Ardeen says, yeah, we absolutely are. The person said, here's the problem. Federal regulations stipulate that if you are hiring such a person and you have federal government contracts, which Amazon did, what AWS did at that time, then you have to ask each person who used to be a Fed, have you checked this with your ethics compliance officer or not? We are not doing that right now. We're in violation of some federal regulate like that. This is a, this is a problem. And yeah. our game's like, this is a problem. And so how are we going to fix this? Right. And then the first interesting part of the of the solution to me was that they just brainstormed for a while and they came to the idea like, wait a minute, what if you just put a checkbox on the hiring page at Amazon and said, by checking this box, I certify that I am a federal employee and I have consulted my ethics compliance officer. Click here to certify that. Great solution. Very lightweight way to solve the problem. Maybe until they investigate it more deeply and come up with if they needed a more involved way or not. But this is a very lightweight way to go about it. And Ardeen and the lawyer were like, yeah, okay, like at least for now, that seems like a, a decent solution. And then things got weird because Ardeen said, I went looking around for the committee that was going to buy off on this change and give me the blessing to go change the hiring site at Amazon to be in compliance with federal regulation. She said, in my, in my entire career, that involved a committee. That involved a whole lot of documentation. We're going to talk about it. There's a review process. We'll get back to you. And she said, I, I couldn't find that person. I was getting a little bit frightened. And she said, a senior mentor of hers called her up and he said, Ardeen, why haven't we, why haven't we made this change? And she said, I, I can't find, I can't find the approval. And he said, you are the approval. He said, you're telling me that legal has signed off on this. That was the other person on the call. We also need business approval. Ardeen, that is you. That's your job. You're going to push the button now. And she said it was the hardest thing she ever did in her career because she was you know, so used to all that communication and coordination and process and structure and hierarchy. And, and her mentor said to her, no, no, we hired you because we trust you to do the right thing there. And he had this great phrase. He said, bringing more people along is not going to change the decision. So why we don't do that at Amazon? We hire people we trust. We give them authority to push buttons like you're doing. He said, push the button. And she did. And she, I think she kind of waited for the, the ceiling to fall on her or whatever. Right. And then and nothing happened. And so it just gets to the second great geek norm. The first one is speed. The second one is ownership. Like here, devolve authority downward to an uncomfortable degree. Have a decentralized organization to a to an uncomfortable degree. The geeks believe hire the right. They, they believe this thing that we hear all the time. We hire the best people and we let them go do their jobs. And yeah, they actually do that, and it's yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> it can be super uncomfortable, but once you get in that mode, man, people love ownership. You you activate their enthusiasm in a deep way. I'm not inside of the generals, General Motors, General Electric, but I just couldn't imagine this new person being able to push the button without six sign-offs from every other associated department. 
I, I tell a story in the book about a woman who was working as a manager inside Hewlett Packard, which we think of as a fairly well-managed company for a long time. She was working there in 2005 and she wanted to spend a quarter of a million dollars on consultants to accomplish an important project. You said five or six signatures. She said there were 20 approvals she needed oh, to, get God. to spend that money. So we, we build up this unreal bureaucratic overhead in the to get in the way of people trying to get their jobs done. And in general, we do it because there seem like good reasons to do it. Well, somebody overspent in the past or somebody went rogue, we have to put another approval layer in or a loop. And what the geeks have said is people, we are going to have problems. People are going to do the wrong thing deliberately or inadvertently. That is a small price to pay for not encrusting our organization with all of this junk, all this bureaucracy, all this overhead that gets in the way of people trying to do their jobs. And so the, the, the geeks have, have tried to deeply embrace this norm of ownership. And some of the stuff that I read, uh, you know, Bezos talked about how his main job at Amazon was preserving the culture. And I've read that he had to keep beating back against the forces of encroaching bureaucracy, even at a high ownership culture like Amazon. That, that encroachment, that bureaucracy is the natural tendency. You have to fight back against it. Reed Hoffman wrote the wonderful forward to your book. We interviewed Mark Randolph here and talking about those early days and going to that second layer of people you bring in. You know, you got the first people that are excited about the company. When you get to that second layer, Andrew, those people all come from these big companies and they, but, but they also come with that leadership quote uh, style of we need sign offs on everything. Totally. One of the most interesting things I heard about Amazon during the pandemic was, you know, in the first phase of the pandemic, they grew so quickly because we were all just ordering everything from Amazon. There was a worry that they were adding so many people who, who like you say, came from very different cultures, that that strong norm of ownership was going to be under some threat. And I think maybe that has happened. You mentioned Mark Randolph, the, the Netflix co-founder. Reed Hastings in his book, No Rules Rules, tells this fantastic story about how they, with via an audit, found out that one of their employees had treated himself to about $100,000 in luxury vacations and then passed it off as travel expenses. So, okay, fine. You fire that person right away. Now here's where it gets interesting because there's a very natural tendency to go, well, you know, managers have to sign off on any spending, travel spending over 400 bucks. And Hastings said, no, we're not doing that. Maybe we need to beef up our audit capability. Great. Let's think about that. But what we're not going to do is start encrusting our people with all these layers of double checking and make sure nothing can ever go wrong and all that. That, that is the road to perdition. There is a side lesson that you, I think, inadvertently teach here, which is to everybody out there who's a parent, teaching your kids that way is really effective too. I know I was never trusted with any money until I got to college, oh, yeah. which is also the reason why I got in huge credit card debt oh, uh, with wow. the company I ended up working for later, American Express. When they hired me, by the way, I was like, I don't think you guys did your due diligence because I really messed up your credit card when, when, nice. I, was, when, I, when yeah. I was younger. Trusting your kids with these $100 decisions when they don't deserve a $100 decision, they have no need for $100 make sure they don't make a thousand dollar mistake later. Like letting her push this button this one time and maybe mess it up gives her the confidence and authority to do bigger things later on. Yeah, I completely agree. I found myself a few years back at a cocktail party next to Bezos and I'm like, I'm not going to pass this opportunity up. So I said, Jeff, when you look at other people- I still people, couldn't imagine, by the way. I still, what? It was amazing. I still just going, hey, Jeff. I hear you like, hey, Jeff. And he's like, okay. And I said, <laughs> when you see other people running great big companies, what's the most common mistake you see them make? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, they just get too conservative. They just get too oh. risk averse for, for all the reasons that we've been talking about. It's natural 
to try to make sure that the bad thing that happened before can't ever happen again. We're going to layer some stuff on top of it. And Bezos said that, look, no, like, go, go do your thing, man. I don't know if he used that phrase, but that was the impression I got. Yeah, yeah. This isn't all just about winging it, though. Our third story is about a guy named uh, Doug Bowman who says, uh, I'm quitting Google. This is actually a turn in the other direction. So where's our risk management? Maybe it's right here. Yeah, it's fascinating because there are rules for the winging it inside geek companies. I love your phrasing. One of the most important rules is we are not going to argue based on seniority, charisma, fancy resume, hourly billing rate, beauty of PowerPoint, all these things, uh, the fact that you were right last time, all these things that people use to justify their arguments and that win debates and, and internal arguments at a lot of companies. What the, what the geeks try very hard to do is say, uh, you know, we're going to have a freewheeling discussion, but we're going to go where the evidence takes us. We are going to follow the evidence. And an evidence-based argument or debate is a beautifully tight definition of science. That's actually what the scientific method is. It's an argument, right? It's a constant argument among people who are trying to get closer to the nature of reality with a ground rule about how you're going to settle the argument. If you and I disagree, if I believe A and you believe B, we're going to get together and say, okay, what test do we both agree would say whether reality is more like B or more like A? And then we're going to go run that test. The evidence is going to settle things here. I opened the chapter about the geek nor of science with this amazing quote from Feynman. He said, look, first of all, you guess. We all do. Scientists guess all the time. But then it doesn't matter how good your guess is, how beautiful it is, how elegant it is, how smart you are. None of that matters. Does your guess hold up to experiment in reality? If so, great. We think that's the right answer for now. If not, we're going back to the drawing board. Science is, is just, you know, we, we when I was trying to learn to do science, you take a lot of statistics courses. You can get very, very deep and it can get very difficult. The ground rule is simple. Argue and let evidence carry the day. I've been a longtime fan of, uh, you know, Disney going from in the early 1980s to nothing and pretty much a company nobody paid attention to, to Michael Eisner bringing in Jeffrey Katzenberg and the team and really bringing that company alive in so many ways. You talk about, though, Katzenberg, a lot of people have heard of his Quibi, and maybe this is what he got wrong was that he was so cocky about his approach and there was not a lot of science applied to how this was going to work. And you bring up something fundamental, which is that Katzenberg, by the point in his career where he launched Quibi, he had every reason to be very fond of his own judgment, right? He had revolutionized Hollywood. He had brought Disney back from the brink. He had shepherded TV shows and movies and won the first Oscar for an animated movie with Beauty and the... This guy had crushed it his entire career in Hollywood. And he, now he says, okay, I, I, my judgment about what, how people want to be entertained is fantastically good. I think the next chapter is that they want to be entertained by these short form videos that they get to watch on their phones. And he launched- Which wasn't wrong. Look at TikTok. Which, right, which wasn't wrong. He just kind of, he didn't go about it in a very geeky way. He just said, <laughs> okay, here's, here's, I know exactly how this is going to go. We're going to unfold it exactly according to my plans. And it was a disastrous failure. They raised, I think, about $1.75 billion with a B dollars from people. They didn't even launch a beta. They launched the app. The service was alive and streaming for, I, I believe, less than fewer than 200 days. This was an epic fail. And when I tried to read the accounts and learn about Quibi, they were doing the opposite of the geek way. Their decisions were not made by science or evidence. They were not iterating. They were just following a vision. And in one of the accounts that I read, there's this great quote from an insider, probably somebody who worked at the company. She said, and I think this person said, look, your job here is just to execute 
Katzenberg's vision on content. Meg Whitman was the CEO. Uh, Whitman's vision on on marketing. If you don't, you're just a troublemaker and you don't fit in there. And she just said, you just wind up in a shitty job where you're there to execute a vision nobody believes in. I'm like, ow. Like that, that describes the working lives of way too many people, way too many people. Well, and I think that's a great way to emphasize what the fourth uh, pillar is, which is openness, right? Yeah. I mean, you tell a great story, and and we're not going to get into it too much here, Andrew, but about uh, geek companies really much flatter, and the CEO doesn't have that, hey, that's Jeffrey Katzenberg you're talking to, yeah. you know? The ego kind of goes away. People have ego, and to say that you need to be an egoless leader doesn't work. What I think the, the geeks have pulled off is that they pulled this really neat switcheroo, and I think their ego is bound up in getting it right as opposed to being right. Those are uh. not the same thing. Those are not the same thing. And so you mentioned uh, the, the story that I tell about Brian Halligan, the C- founder, co-founder and CEO of HubSpot for a long time and, and a dear, dear friend of mine. And I've watched him over the years as he grew the company and just had this massive success with it. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know what's interesting about you? It's not that you don't have ego. Of course you do. You, What you want to do, you want to get it right. You want your company to get it right. That involves you being wrong a lot of the time and building a company that gets it right even when you yourself are wrong. Man, that's neat. That's a good trick. It, it is difficult, you know, even when you have this open culture where you tell people, hey, you know, let's protect the customer. Let's make sure the customer gets what they want. So tell me where I'm wrong. You know, Andrew, most people aren't used to that. How do you, how did he foster this community? I mean, and this is obviously a long, long discussion, but just a basic thing on how do you begin this? It's a huge, long discussion for exactly the reason you point out. We humans are not wired to speak truth to power. You can think about like our nearest evolutionary neighbors. Chimpanzee number three does not challenge chimpanzee number one very much. It's just a really terrible strategy for not getting whooped. Now, we're wired that same way. Upward challenges are not natural to us. And so the geek leaders that I've learned from, they work on it really hard over a long period of time. And they signal that it's okay all day, every day in big ways and small ways. So when Halligan looks at somebody and says, oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Man, like that sends a signal to the other human beings in the room. And if you do that consistently and if people know that you mean it, then you've got a chance at actually having getting people to the point where they're willing to push back on you, even though you're the person at the top of the org chart and the founder of the company. It's hard, but it's doable. Well, and I love the underlying message that if the customer wins, then we all win, no matter where it where it comes from, right? There's this there's yeah. this vibe then. And then my ego is we make badass products. And I can be very egotistical all day long about that. Yeah, well, I was thinking yeah, I mentioned Yeah, we're growing like crazy. We make badass products. I was part of this effort that succeeded. I was also part of three that failed, and that didn't tank my career at this company. You know, yay. The other thing I found out about my friend Chris that I mentioned earlier. Wherever Chris goes, people want to be around him. It doesn't right. matter what company he's at. He always, Andrew, attracts talent. Now, see, this is really important because human beings have two kinds of status. One is dominance. I'm higher on the org chart than you are. We are the only species on the planet, maybe close to, that has prestige as well. It doesn't matter where you are on the org chart. You are really good at what you do, and you're actually kind of a pro-social, like a, like a cooperative person. I will follow you anywhere. You're just some jerk who's four levels above me. I, I, I'd rather not work for you. You're, but I consider you a prestigious person. I will follow you to the next thing. 
Thank you for mentoring our stackers today on these four geeky principles of speed, ownership, science, and openness. This is, of course, a much longer discussion. If people want to dig in, the good news is you wrote a book on this that goes even deeper called The Geek Way, The Radical Mindset That Drives Extraordinary Results. And if this goes out uh, the day I think it's going out, it was available yesterday. So. Oh, right on. Yeah. Pub <laughs> date is November 14. In the book, I just I do what we're talking about here, and I just lay the argument out at greater detail. But just it, 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 I became convinced that a bunch of geeks had figured out a better way to run a company, and that's what the book is about. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And actually, I, I got that wrong. It, it is tomorrow that it comes out. So uh-huh. either do the pre-order today or grab it tomorrow. Andrew McAfee, thank you so much for helping us out. I really appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, this is Pete the Planner, USA Today money columnist and host of the Ask Pete the Planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Andrew McAfee for joining us. Man, so much, so much there, guys. And of course, as always, We'll unpack it even further in our 201 newsletter tomorrow. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. Tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency OG, now that you're back for another eight weeks, they uh, the glue that holds this all together. You value first. Oh, uh, I would really like to kind of solidify what the next six weeks are going to look like. At our house, we've got we've got we got a lot of moving parts. It's Thanksgiving holiday season. We have a obnoxiously long holiday break with the kids, and I'm just feeling antsy about not having. Long. I don't want to see my kids this often. <laughs> I just, you know, I feel antsy about not having a plan for the next six weeks. So uh, it's, you know, not exactly the love, my loved ones in my time, but it's definitely about my time. Well, and that's actually, OG, exactly why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackybedjamins.com slash Haven Life now for a free quote because they've streamlined the process. So you can get this out of the way. You can spend more time on the plans that you're actually worried about. All policies issued by the parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. You don't have to wait for a coverage decision and, of course, affordable prices. Get this done now, everybody. StackyBenjamins.com slash Haven Life. Uh, today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our stacker of the day, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, guys. This is Mark from Illinois. I've been listening to the show for years and love the mix of entertainment and finance you provide. I haven't learned anything yet, but today's a new day, so let's give it a try. I was wondering if you could help explain how donor-advised funds work and if it is possible to transfer appreciated stocks from a Vanguard brokerage account to a donor-advised fund. The purpose would be to avoid paying capital gains taxes on existing investments since we file using the standard deduction. Would a donor-advised fund help us regain some tax benefits from our giving? Any opinion on services like DAFI to assist in executing a donor-advised fund? Appreciate all that you do. I have a ton of t-shirts already, so you can give my shirt to Doug. Ah, uh, just kidding. I need some new threads. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Okay. He puts it out there. It reels Now it I don't like this question for two reasons. <laughs> it was only going to be one, and then he came in with the gut punch at the end. But here, here's, before we dive, and this is actually a great question, uh, but before we dive into that, I think I'd, I'd like to address something, Joe, which is this sort of wink-wink joke we hear a lot that came from something I probably said, because I'm always running my mouth off, like 30 years ago, at the, when the podcast first started, when it was, I, I, I don't learn anything. I never learned anything from this show. 
I don't know where people are getting that unless these are the longest time listeners we've ever had because we haven't said that in forever. And I think what we want to do is have people not realize they're learning things because they're laughing so much. <laughs> which is, I think, what this guy. Which I think hopefully what Mark was implying. I think that's what Mark was implying. But I was also going to say, if you didn't learn anything from Mr. McAfee there just a few minutes ago, man. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. So and yeah, give him the damn t-shirt and let's just answer his question. <laughs> let's go donor advised funds. OG, what's a donor advised fund? Basically these came up as a way to pool your contributions and save contributions for a longer period of time. You know, a lot of us give a little bit throughout the year to different things that are important to us, whether it's a charity, charity organization, you know, religious organization, you know, the kid that shows up at the door and says, will you buy some popcorn? for the Boy Scouts, you know, or whatever, right? And a donor advised fund is a way to kind of pool all that together and then decide how you want to distribute that. And there's no timeline on that distribution. So you could say, well, I'm, I'm not committed to anything in particular right now, but I still want to give a portion of my income to charity in the future. So I will put it in this account. It counts as a donation today. And uh, in the future, someday, I will figure out what to do with it. And meanwhile, it can be invested and grow and do its thing. A lot of people ask the question of like, well, should I put the money in the donor advice fund if I'm going to take the money right back out? You know, I give $500 a month to church. Should I put it in a donor advice fund first? No, you shouldn't. It's a pain in the butt. If you haven't committed to what you think you want to uh, support, a donor advice fund's great because you can put money there. It sits there, it grows, it does its thing for a long period of time, and then you decide later. If all you're doing is moving money from your bank account to a charity's bank account, you don't need to pass through a donor advised fund first. What Mark's asking about is, can you donate other things other than cash? So yeah, you can donate cars and stock and houses and boats, and you can donate anything you want to donate that has value to a charity, right? They'll take it. Well, mostly they'll be able to take it. So he's got some appreciated positions in his brokerage account and wonders, hey, can I take this money and transfer it to a donor advised fund? Absolutely you can, and it will lower your taxes because because it is, assuming that your your contribution amount is above the the standard deduction you know you're going to donate $50,000 or something like that to a donor advised fund it will affect your taxes in the current year plus if you'd use the appreciated stock there's not going to be any capital gains taxes like he was talking about because you're donating it to the charity now if all you're going to do is just turn around and donate that money right back to the charity i would say why don't you just donate the stock to the charity and be done with it the only exception to this is if the charity itself is not able to accept that. So there is some circumstances, a small organization or something are not set up to receive, you know, 52 shares of Apple. Like they don't know how to do it. They don't have the systems. They don't have the technology to be able to do that. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that. The county library, you know, the Arboretum, the alumni association at school, they know how to do that stuff because this, this is how they raise capital. So donor advice fund, great. If you're going to park it there for a while, you haven't made a commitment yet in terms of what you want to do with it. It's great if the charity doesn't have the facility to accept other things like highly appreciated stock or whatever. But if all you're doing is just put money in the alumni association, I just call the alumni association and just ask them, hey, I've got 100 shares of Apple I want to donate to you guys. How do I do it? And they'll walk you through how to do it. Yeah, good stuff. And and specifically to his question, again, OG, for anybody out there with appreciated stock, it is a if you're going to give cash versus appreciated stock, appreciated stock might be a great way to go. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, if you have a system to your giving, and this is a way that a donor advice fund can help, right, is 
you give the same $500 every month to whatever, right? And you look at the beginning of the year and you say, I, I'm going to budget $6,000 to do this. And you look at your brokerage account and you go, well, I've got this stock. I've got this asset that's, you know, worth $6,000. You could just transfer that 6,000 bucks into your donor advised fund and then set up a systematic payment from your donor advised fund to your charity that you want to do. Bing bong, you're done, right? Like it's kind of the same transaction, but to your point, you're donating a highly appreciated stock as opposed to the cash. And, and some people might be, but I like this stock and I want to hold it. This is a way to get rid of the capital gains tax. So I take the stock of the company I really like and I want to hold on to, and I gift it to get rid of all this capital gains overhead. Can I then go and rebuy it? Yeah, absolutely. You can. There's you know nothing to prevent you from rebuying it. You have to check and make sure that it's not subject to any tax issues. You know, when we sell stock, you can't turn around and rebuy it. If you sell it for a loss, it's called a wash sale. But since you're gifting it a highly appreciated stock, I can't see that there's a wash sale tax benefit. You're just be no different than just rebuying at that minute. A great time. I know Doug is going to say this later on in the show, but of course, this is where you check with your own tax advisor, right? Yes, please do. Absolutely. But there's a lot of strategies here. I mean, basically Mark's onto something and all of this, it sounds really cliche, but, but it really boils down to, well, what are you trying to do? Like yeah. what's, you know, we, we get really wrapped up in product and we get wrapped up in the cool, new, shiny thing. Like, oh, I heard about Dorvide. This is cool. How do I do? It's like, well, hold on. What are you trying to do? Well, I give $500 every month to church. It's like, okay, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Now let's look at your total portfolio and figure out a way to do that in a tax efficient manner. It's funny how we looked at two different tax strategies today. We looked at one of the TikTok minute and we went, uh, I don't know. And we looked at this one of Mark's and went, yeah, great idea. Yeah. Mark, thanks a ton for that question. If you've got questions for the show, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail, and you too can uh, put the bait of a shirt in front of Doug and then jerk it away at the last second like Mark did. <laughs> Just some, <laughs> so super, funny. That's so super, much fun. Super brilliant. Like a Charlie Brown move. Time for maybe a, a mistake after we just poke the bear, but let's go to Doug now. Doug, time for the back porch segment, which always begins with a community calendar. What we got coming up, my friend? Oh, I'll tell you later this week, Joe, you should know this because you sh you're going to have to be there for a great discussion on Instagram Live with Andy Hill. You should start prepping now because that dude is a mental giant. That's going to be on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern coming up. Do you even know what you're talking about yet? Maybe I don't know what we're talking about, but Andy sure does. <laughs> Luckily, some, somebody's got it going on. No, Andy's Andy is, is for anybody that follows Andy knows in his great kids, marriage, kids and money knows that Andy is all about teaching his kids about wealth at a young age. And so he's going to walk through the program he's used very successfully with his two children to uh, to teach them about money. So if you've got kids, uh, great, great uh, Instagram live hang out and different than the show where you can yell at the device, you can you can write to us at the Haven Lifeline and ask questions. Instagram Live, we're taking questions on the fly. So come join us and Andy. And if you can't be there live, you can still watch the replay over on Instagram. What else we got going on? You know, one of the things I love about the basement is not only the fun we have down there, but some of the serious questions that people use our community to get responses from. That was a horribly constructed sentence. But uh, they'll go there and ask real serious questions. And Dave, uh, back at the beginning of the month, day, a couple of weeks ago, Dave asked about a great credit card for his daughter who just turned 18. It's time to start building her credit. And he asked the basement for their thoughts on that. And 
uh, is getting a lot of great responses. So we want, if you're not part of the basement yet in, in Facebook, go there, join and, you know, use it to have fun just like you do on the show and learn something just like you do on the show. And, you know, Dave got a lot of great, great responses and thoughts on credit cards for, um, his daughter. So that was great. What are some of the answers people gave? Cause I can talk to mine cause my kids got two different credit cards. OG. My daughter went with the Discover card. Discover's sponsored the show here, but they're great. Uh, Discover is a great first credit card for kids to build some credit. She had a very low credit line began there. And uh, my son actually got a Fidelity's 2% uh, cash back credit card and uh, worked with Self, the company, to build his credit quicker so that he was able to get that Fidelity card almost immediately. I mean, just a great cash back card. Oh, gee, you've got this coming either, well, probably in the next couple of years, I would think. Well, we added the boys at 13 to the family Amex card and the family Apple card. So, I mean, with, you know, phone paying with, you know, Apple Pay being the main choice of payment from now on, like kids don't have to carry, you know, wallets and all that stuff with them. Um, So it's on their phones. And then, you know, they have you run into issues with that yet about, oops, I accidentally dad bought something I shouldn't have bought. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, he has. Yeah. I mean, like we go through it with them. We go through the, we go through the bill with them, you know, their section. And when they turn 13 and they have this freedom, there aren't very many limits. So they're just like, but ding, but ding, but ding, but ding, you know? And one of the kids I, I remember after they turned 13 going through the bill and going, Hey, uh, so I don't mind you buying some snacks at the vending machine, but do you think you needed to buy $32 worth in one day? Uh, is that how much that was? Yeah. And by the way, to, you know, to parents going, oh, I would never let my kid have that money. I would much rather, OG, have a kid make a $32 mistake and be able to coach them on it than have kids go to college like I did. And this isn't stank against my parents. I think this is most parents. Uh, I went to college, got my credit card, ruined my credit right away. Didn't have anybody. <laughs> ruined it for 10 years. Nobody yeah, cared. Did it the right way. Yeah, yeah, just just absolutely wrecked it. So, man, making a $32 mistake versus a $1,000 mistake, you know, later on. Well, and I mean, really what we talked about there was you should own vending machines. Because it was like, well, what did you buy? I bought a bag of chips. It's like, well, let's go to Costco and see how many chips you can buy for 32 Oh, look, you can buy 600 bags of Doritos <laughs> for 30 bucks. Like, why don't and you And a pallet of to- toilet paper at why, the same time. Exactly. Like, turn this into an opportunity, right? Why don't you go to the school store and go, hey, why are, why are we allowing somebody to vending machine this for two bucks to the kids? I'll do it for a dollar. You know, it didn't go anywhere, but, you know, because there's a contract. But, hey, you know, it's an opportunity. Talk about a good mentor, Ron Shake, who was just here from Panera Bread. Remember, he, he told that story yeah. about him with the school store in his college. Just went, why don't we have this thing? And he created it, and that led to uh, Panera. So maybe your kid's the next Panera founder, OG. Uh, Doug, what, what kind of uh, advice did uh, did the stacker get? You know, uh, actually, so he asked for two things. Dave asked for two things in the basement, a recommendation on a card and also a way to track spending. And so far, you know, as we record this, I'm sure he's going to get more responses because he just posted this uh, recently. But so far, a bunch of people are responding saying, don't get her a card yet. But they're also saying they like YNAB as a tracking device. So that's mm. those are most of the responses I see so far. But this is a hot topic, just like you guys just talked on and on and on just now. But I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> just like you guys did, I, I'm sure he's going to get a ton of responses. I like FamZoo. I like uh, Greenlight. Uh, some of these programs developed specifically for kids. I think YNAB for a kid, OG, might be a little... A little much. I feel like sometimes we answer the thing that's right for us. 
right for the adult, right? Oh, why not work for me? Why wouldn't it work for your 14 year old? Like, <laughs> Hey, two, two quick things, Doug, before we uh, say goodbye. I mentioned a couple weeks ago at Halloween that I watched the movie, the blackening, which had the subtitle, oh, yeah. so- we can't all be the first to die. <laughs> it was this hilarious story with the all African-American cast. This, this movie got a six on IMDb, which I also said for a horror movie is a fantastic rating. This movie was not even a horror movie, guys. Very little horror. It was hilarious. Wow. Well, yeah. That subtitle tells you really what you're in for. And it is, there is the most racist board game I've ever seen. And they, and they call it out on the movie. They're like, yeah, I'm not playing that board game. That's a pretty racist board game. And, uh, and everything that happens is so comical. You got to like horror mixed with your humor. And as long as you're okay, there is almost nothing scary about this movie. I was with a group of about 12 people and we'd laugh the entire time. So the blackening big, big thumbs up for people that want to see a quote horror movie, but would rather see comedy. I'm picturing that commercial ran for a couple of years and now I'm drawing a blank on the company. So it must not have been an effective commercial, but the kids are running around and they're like, let's hide in that shed behind all the chainsaws. (laughs) I think that was Geico. How about we we get into the running car? Are you crazy? Exactly. Oh, it's so funny when they start to go in the basement. They're like, and, and I think a guy calls it out. He's like, you know, that's where the people go to die. It's in the basement. Like, yeah, but we got it. He's like, I know. So I wanted to just report back on that before we went. That sounds fun. That sounds good. We've actually gotten a ton of great reviews. This back porch is going a little bit long today, but uh, keep them coming, folks. Just in the last few days, we've gotten like four or five really great reviews. The really best, the best ones of the ones that have come in recently, all mention how great the trivia segment is. So, um, <laughs> oh, you know, God. keep those coming, folks. Oh, but, no. Uh, but a lot of great reviews. Oh, gee, we in. created a monster. May or may not have had something to do with you giving away books. I don't, I don't know if there's a correlation there. Let's, <laughs> let's wrap up. We can talk about the books later because we do have to wrap this up. Let's talk about this. If you're not here for books, you're not here for to just teach your kid about a credit card or about great movie recommendations. You're here because you need to make better financial decisions. You know what? OG and his team are taking clients. So step one is to put a better team in your corner to help you make better decisions. And as we get ready to roll into 2024 already, my goodness, stackybenjamins.com slash OG is the link to OG's team's calendar. And that's the first step you take on the road to better decisions. All right. That's uh, that's going to do it for today. Uh, Doug, take it from your man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Andrew McAfee and learn to embrace unconventional solutions. Second, hiring family members. You can hire family, but remember, if you get this wrong, you could all learn how to make license plates together. Well, that's great family time, though, isn't it? But the big lesson... Make sure to brush up on your French before you try to ask a French woman out to dinner. Apparently, I uh, I just asked her if she'd ever eaten a squirrel. Thanks to Andrew McAfee for joining us today. You can find his book, The Geek Way, wherever books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. 
You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course, you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of this show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Youngkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. Say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Okay. Here we go, Steve. Hope you're sitting down. Three, two, one. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today you'll learn how to see bigger opportunities. <clears throat> That's the cat fur. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.